Welcome to Create Beauty Every Day, a podcast brought to you by HookingRugs.com. I'm Deanne Fitzpatrick. Once you listen to the podcast, be sure to go over to HookingRugs.com and learn about the inspiration sessions and how you can grow and develop your creativity and intuition about color, design, and rug cooking with me, Deanne Fitzpatrick. Now on with the show. Hi, I'm Deanne Fitzpatrick, and this is my podcast called Create Beauty Every Day, brought to you by HookingRugs.com. And I'm just so excited today to be interviewing someone that I've followed for a long, long time. And her name is Jo Packham, and she is the creator and editor-in-chief of Where Women Create and What Women Create, and a host of other beautiful things that we'll talk about today. Hello. Hello, it's such an honor to be here. Thank you so much. Oh, it's all my pleasure. I just want to, I want to, I want to know your story. I'm so curious. I'm so curious about your story. Where did it, where did it begin? Where did, where did you grow up? And what was that like? I grew up in Ogden, Utah, which is where I live now, about a mile and a half from the house I was born and raised in. I'm a small town, homegrown girl who I say it all the time, but I really never had any dreams of being a big publisher or, you know, to be connected to a community like I am today. I wanted to go to high school and I wanted to get married and have a family and kind of a typical, we're not Mormon, but kind of a typical Mormon community kind of girl, you know, I fit in pretty well. And um, so it's, it's all a big surprise to me. Yeah, but this is my 44th year in publishing. I have been 44 years. I am pretty convinced I'm the oldest one in the industry, but I know I've been there the longest for sure. But yeah, 44 years. I started the year my daughter was born and she's uh, 44 this year. What did it look like when you began? What, what, what were you publishing? What was the first things you published? The first things we published, well, the first thing we did was I opened a retail store to sell art supplies to our local university. And I don't know why I did that. I was driving, we were in California. My husband graduated from law school. I hated California. We were driving home at midnight one night from San Francisco to Sacramento. And I said out of the clear blue sky, I'm going to go home and open a retail store. And he said, you're going to do what? And I said, I'm going to go home and open a retail store and sell art supplies. And I'm going to call my friend, my best friend, and we're going to do it together. And that's what we did. And so we had this um, art supply store for the university and counted cross-stitch, Jenny Beyer and uh, Gloria and Pat. Jenny Beyer brought cross-stitch over from uh, Europe on a trip. And she started selling counted cross-stitch in the U.S., And then Gloria and Pat took hold of it. And it was, we were selling hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cross-stitch books and supplies. And I said to my partner, we need to write books. There's more money in wholesaling than in retailing. And we need to do this. And she said, no, I'm not interested. And she was always the one that was, she's very talented, very, very smart. I always kind of lived in her shadow and just did what, she was the brains and I was the, the brawn behind it all. I got the job done, right? And, um, I, and she said, she looked me straight in the eye, I'll never forget it. And she said, and you cannot do it without me. 
the first challenge. We have been friends since we were seven years old. And it was the first challenge in all those years. And I thought, yep, you know what I can. Yeah. So I found a different partner and we started, that story is crazy in and of itself, but we started producing cross-stitch books and we were in the right place at the right time with the right product. And we sold those, um, you know, they were those like 395, 495 leaflets. Yes, that I know exactly what they were. Yeah, yeah. Color covers and black and white insides. And we would literally, we printed about a million copies of each a year. Wow. And we, and we um, came out with four new books, pamphlets, every six weeks. Wow. You were, oh, crazy. it was crazy. Yeah. yeah. It was insane. And um, they couldn't, people couldn't get enough of it. They were just, they were buying everything that was printed. And we did that for nine years. It was the most wonderful ride. Yeah. And Sounds like a great business. <laughs> It no. was, and we yeah. didn't know what we were doing. We learned from scratch, right? Mm -hmm. And then um, our her husband was our CPA. Yeah. And he walked in one morning and he said, do you two realize that your sales have fallen 85% in 30 days? Wow. And it was over. It was over as quickly as it started. And we had a huge warehouse and hundreds of thousands of copies in the warehouse. And and it was just done. People, well, they decided later on that it was kind of like the perfect storm. Women had enough cross-stitch patterns that if they did 10 a day, they would never run out, right? <laughs> and the physical fitness craze hit and women went back to work. And it was just, it's like everybody closed the door one morning and said, okay, this is done. How did it feel for you at that time? Like, how were you feeling during that time? during the time it was over or during the time it was going? No, right, right. Like right after he said, your sales have dropped by 85%. Oh my gosh, we were paralyzed. I was horrified. I went home and cried. I can't remember how long. I wish I would have written it down, but it seemed like a week. It probably was only a day or two, right? Yeah. We had a huge staff, all that great big warehouse, all that overhead. I, and we're a pretty conservative company, but when you're selling that fast, that much, you know, even just to stay on top of it is big. Mm -hmm. And um, so then I came up with an idea. I, I don't know. Um, I don't know where my ideas come from. People always say, where do your ideas come from? And I'm like, I don't know where my ideas come from. It's, mm. I'm just sitting there and all of a sudden I have this idea. So this is one of my crazier stories. We did all the trade shows, all of TNNA, all of CHA, all of the trade shows. One year we did 26 trade shows and um, selling the magazine. So I got to be friends with all of the, everybody, you know, you're friends with everybody, but Cecilia Toth was the editor-in-chief of Meredith Publishing. She's been retired for years and years. And um, I said to her, I called her up, we were good friends. And I called her up and I said, I have this really good idea. And she said, what? And I said, in those days when you worked for the major publishers like Meredith, what would happen is if you did rug hooking, you would take your designs in there with your patterns and you would give it to an editor and she would dismiss you. And you would, um, she would 
create the book. She would write the instructions. She would take the photography. They would lay out the book and it would go to press and it would go to press in about two years. It took two years. Right. So they weren't ever like up with the latest trends or doing really fashionable things. Everything was yeah. really dated. And so I said, this is what coming from a small town and knowing nothing <laughs> does for you. I said to Cecilia, I would like to meet with the president of Meredith. And she laughed right out loud and said, nobody meets with the president of Meredith. And I said, no, I have this really great idea. And it's really a good idea for Meredith. And I don't want to go through all the channels. I just want to meet with the president. And um, she said, she said, Joe. And I said, just please do it for me. And so she called about a month later and she said, okay, I can't even remember his name now. He was president like three presidents ago. But um, she said, okay, he has agreed to meet with you at exactly one o'clock on a certain day when he's in New York on business, right? So I walk in there, I go to, I get, I, I'm pretty conservative. I used to wear little linen suits with little flat shoes and I'm really short. And so it was, I was not a presence to be reckoned with, I'll tell you what. And um, so it was in the Meredith building and I went there and it, the corporate offices were on the top floor. So I go to the top floor and I open this door and it is this mammoth, mammoth conference room with this great big, huge table and all these men uh, around the table and I just stood in the door and I said would you just excuse me for just a few minutes and they nodded and I went in the bathroom and threw my guts up oh. I was so sick I'm like oh my hell what am I thinking right so I so I go back in the room and there's they have a place next to me next to the president and then Cecilia's across from me and then there's all these guys and he's like okay, what's your idea? I hear you have an idea. And I said, actually, I do have an idea. And it's a really good idea. And he said, what? And so I tell him about why their system isn't working, why it takes too long to get a book to press, and they're not trendy and all this kind of stuff. And they're missing the market. And I said, you know, we can produce a book for you. I can, I have this incredible track record. And we can produce books for you. And he said, no, it was just no. And I said, no. And he goes, I said, no. And I said, but why no? And he said, well, that, that's not the way we do it. And I said, well, it's the way you should do it. And he, I thought he was going to eat me alive. I mean, he was just like, what? This stupid young woman is sitting in my office with this little linen suit on. Are you kidding me? And um, so he said, tell me what your idea is. And I said, we can produce books for you for less than half the price in a third the time. I can get a book to press for you in less than six months so that you can be really trendy and everything. And he said, no, I, I don't think it'll work. And I said, I know it'll work. And he said, I don't think it will work. And I said, how about this? Uh, and we were closed down. My staff was gone. I was trying to get rid of all this inventory. I was in the worst position of my entire life, right? And I said, what we'll do is we'll produce the first book for you. You pick the subject. You tell me how many pages. You tell me what you consider a best-selling book. I'll, I'll have it at the printer within, I said, four months which was insane. And um, I said four months. And then when we hit the mark that you think is a successful book, you will pay me to produce the book. And I get three times the royalties and I get a three-year contract. Mm -hmm. 
And he said, I don't think so. And I said, that is crazy. You have nothing to lose. I mean, it's for free. You're going to print them anyway. And yeah. it's going to be a beautiful book. So we came to terms and he said, okay. So I said, you pick the subject. He said, we want, we want cross, we want 365 cross stitch, cross stitch designs, one for every day of the year. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my who, hell. Who would ever need okay. that? <laughs> sure. I can do that. There's no problem. So I fly back to Utah. I call everybody I know in the world, all the designers, you know, all the stitchers, absolutely everybody. And we put it together. And in those days, when we laid the books out, you actually had to do it with rub-ons. You know, you right. did your cross-stitch graphs with rub-ons and then you had to do your typesetting on typesetting machines. And we used to lay them out in the middle of the floor down the hall to make sure there were no errors. And things, so when you're doing it, it was, uh, they had to be smaller designs because we had to get 365 designs on like 145 pages or something like that. And so we delivered on time. It was a beautiful book. And when they, they we sold almost a million copies. Wow. So that set me off on my hardbound book career. And that lasted about 17 years. Mm -hmm. And I did I did over a thousand books. You did a um, thousand books. Mm -hmm. We were considered a we were considered a full line packager. And what that meant in those days was like there were just four or five publishers who were producing craft books, right? Yeah. And if you wanted to produce a craft book, you would come to me. We would find each other, and I would sell it to the publisher. And then um, we would produce it. We would fly you in to do the photography. You would get everything done. You would get paid to do that. There were advances to be paid to do that. And then the publisher would pay you a royalty and he would pay me separately. Right. So, and I got, I got a production fee and then I also got a, a smaller royalty. Mm -hmm. So when you're doing it that way, we had a huge team. We had 47 um, people laying out books and um, photographing. I owned three big buildings down in historic Ogden on 25th street. One was our offices and one was our photo studio. And then my daughter opened three retail stores because what was happening, the books, the publishers would not allow the same props to be shown in two books. Right. So we always had to have an entirely different set of props. So we would go buy props and then we'd have this big garage sale at the end of the year, which was a nightmare, right? And storing them was crazy. And so my daughter didn't was not crazy about publishing. So she opened three retail stores um, in my buildings on the main floor. And so what we did was we used her, all of her inventory for photo props yeah. And then she would sell them at retail and it was constantly re evolving and changing. And so that was perfect. And, and um, it was good. And then I woke up one morning and it was over. It's like my whole career has been this, you know, this, you have this great idea. You work, you're, you work so hard. You can't believe it. And you do so well and it's just over. And the end is so disastrous. Tell me that because um, I'm curious, how did you wake up one morning and this was finished? Because it sounds like it was very successful. It was very successful and we did really, really well. And what happened was in when I was a full line packager, 
I packaged for every major publisher in the industry. I packaged for Time Warner, Rodale, Meredith, Oxmoor House. We packaged for everybody. And then I went to work for Sterling Publishing because Lincoln Baum was the owner of Sterling Publishing in those days. And he wined and dined me and he said, you know what, come to work for me. You, I wanna build my company in the how-to section. I'll let you do anything you want. If you wanna do three books a year, do three books a year. If you wanna do 30 books a year, do 30 books a year. And you don't have to get them approved. You don't have to do anything. You just have to deliver on deadline for printing. So it was so like having your own imprint, sort of. Exactly. Yeah. And he was, yeah. it was a dream. I mean, he was the greatest guy. And he took, I flew to New York once a month and he would review the books. He never said no. You know, he just wanted to kind of know what was going to be in the list so he could tell the salesman and stuff. And so I was sitting in my office one day and he called me up and he said, Joe, I just want you to know that before you read it in the New York Times that I sold Sterling. And I said, did you sell me with you as a packager? Yeah. <laughs> and he said, no. Yeah. And so the new owners took over and it took about a year to change things. And we went to work with the new owners but um, the new president of Sterling, after a year, and we ramped way up. We were up to 100 books a year. And so when you're in 100, when you're producing 100 books a year, you're really in at 300. You're finishing up 100, you're working on 100, and you're getting ready to work on 100. Right. So you're really in at 300. And um, he called me on Christmas Eve, and he said, we're going to, we're freezing everything. Now, in my infinite wisdom, they were my only client. Mm, yeah. So, um, I mean, I, you know, who would have ever thought? I, we, I couldn't even imagine. I had a legal team, you know, I had a team of advisors. I wasn't doing this all by myself. Yeah. And everybody's, oh, you know, this is too secure. This is this, whatever. So they called on Christmas Eve and said, we're absolutely freezing everything. And we don't know what we're going to do. And I said, you know, I'm in this 300 books and people have to be paid and I've got, you know, employees and authors and all this kind of stuff. And so I went to a lawyer, actually my ex-husband was a lawyer. So he found me the most amazing lawyer who was actually accredited to practice law in many, many states in the country. And he said to me, you know what? Your contract is airtight. We can get this fixed. But he said, what you have to do is you have to continue adhering to the um, laws of the contract, to the terms of the contract. So you have to keep working on these books and you have to complete them. And I said, well, we're pretty conservative and I can do that. But if I go very long, it'll wipe me out because that that's huge overhead, right? Yeah, of course it is. And he said, no, this is airtight. We're in this, you know, a month max. We can get this taken care of. And he is a brilliant lawyer. Well, a year and a half and $10 million later, we could never settle the contract. So um, it just came to the point where I had to give up and walk away. And what is interesting, what's the most interesting part of this story is I still had on my little linen suit with my little flat shoes, right? And I was in front of this big corporation and we were having this big conference 
And they were taking, I had to sign, my lawyer said, you just have to sign over everything. And we had published the first book, Where Women Create. And it was doing incredibly well. It was only about, I don't know, maybe six months old or so. And um, it was doing unbelievably well. And I guess in sheer desperation and terror, I just sat straight up and said, they took, I had 123 imprints. That's how many categories we um, published under. And I just stood right up and said, I am not, I'm going to keep Where Women Create. That was one of our new entrants. And they said, no, you're not. And I said, I'm gonna keep where women create or we're going to the carpet on this. I am not, I'm gonna fight this to the very end, I don't care. And I was so out of money. I mean, I had nothing left, right? And uh, so finally, one of the gentlemen uh, on the legal team on the other side said, give her where women create. It doesn't make any difference, right? So we left and I was out of work for about a year. And then there's a really crazy story about how I started publishing magazine with Stampington called Where Women Create. And that's where I am today again. Uh, yeah, yeah. And now, and now you no longer publish with Stampington, but you publish with somebody else. I do, I publish with Matavor. I've actually had three publishers. Yeah. Um, Stampington and I had a good run and then Kelleen just wanted to go a different direction and I she was interested the magazine was incredibly successful for her yep. so she wanted to do her own in her studio yeah so um we parted ways and then I went with a company in Canada that didn't end well but it was because of COVID right. it really it you know it that it took them out so they took me out yeah and then Matavor heard about us last a year ago in December and picked us up. And, you know, they say, <laughs> they, whoever they is, right. but they say, you know, if everything that happens, regardless of how bad it is, it usually happens for the better, right? And this partnership with Matavor is crazy good because what we found out during with Distacor and during COVID, you know, we were a newsstand magazine. That's, we were newsstand publishers. And we did that. We had very, very few subscriptions because we wanted our rankings on newsstands. We were number one at Costco and Whole Foods and Barnes and Noble. We were number one everywhere. And if you have subscribers, you lose that, right? Mm -hmm. Because not everybody goes to newsstands. And so, but when COVID hit and Barnes and Noble closed and people quit shopping and the whole bottom fell out of the magazine industry, right? And so I decided if I was ever gonna come back that it had to be a subscription-based publisher. So that we, we still wanna be on newsstands, of course, mm -hmm. but their main focus is on the web and subscriptions. Yeah. And that's what Matavor is. And they have taken hold of the brand and just exploded it. I mean, we are selling, we are, we are the top selling magazine at Whole Foods right now. Oh, that's beautiful. I'm glad. And I, you know, too. I found it on the newsstand, Joe, at Sobeys, which is our Atlantic Canadian big grocery store. And, and I subscribed within a week, <laughs> you <laughs> know, so I, I, I was so, cause it felt like I and I said to you one of the first things I said to you was it feels like this magazine has a new life. It it does. I think the 
we, Matavor has given me a new life. We have been able to pass that on to the women that we feature. There's just so much more and they're, you know, they're promoting them in so many ways. My business model has always been, I always do um, three or four really successful women in the industry, but I don't ever do famous people. Mm -hmm. I could do famous people. I'm, I have agents who call me all the time. And when we did cook, when we did where women cook, we did some B listers, you know, not never a listers, but, but really um, notable actors and actresses and stuff. And, um, but my business model with what and create was always to give the opportunity to people that I felt were like me, you know, working really hard. Nobody knows who you are. You don't, you only have 3000 followers on Instagram. You do really, really great art, but nobody knows. Yeah. And so I always felt like we, you do a couple of big ones so that they sell the magazines, so that people buy the magazines. Mm -hmm. Right. But um, we give the re the majority are people who would never have an opportunity to tell their story. Yeah. And, and I think that's so important because that's the way I, that's the way I look at me. Mm -hmm. It's the small and homegrown girl. Yeah, that's your sort of that's your that's your life's philosophy, I guess, isn't it? Because I when I look at you, I and I have a question for you. I see you as someone who has so many relationships. And I I mean, I know you don't have a relationship with everyone you feature in these magazines, but uh, over the years watching your journey, I have I, your name comes up here and it comes up there and it, you know, and it it's interesting and and to me you seem like someone who's good at cultivating relationships. I hope so. I, I, that makes me feel really good and very honored. I, I think that's why I've always been able to do what I do. Like when I get an idea like at Meredith, I mean, like how crazy is that? But I have such a um, passionate, involved community that all I have to do is make a few calls and everybody's there and willing to jump, you know, to do whatever needs to be done because we're all in this together. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, as pub, pub, magazine publishers don't make a lot of, independent magazine publishers do not make a lot of money anyway. And we have never sold advertising. Mm -hmm. So we yeah. have, you know, we, if we have a bad issue, it's because you have to pay for everything up front. You know, if we have a bad issue, it really, really hurts. So I've never had really a lot of money and I've always depended on, like, I'm just a working girl. I'm just like everybody else. So yeah. if we all work together on the same project, then we can all be successful because yeah. they'll be in the magazine. I have to tell you the first. So the first magazine that I did for Stampington, I called them up and it's really a long story that I won't bore you with, but I... <laughs> I went down there and after a very long conversation and kind of a weird happenstance. Well, let me tell you, it's really funny. Good. So I, I lose everything. I'm out of work for a year. I have a designer who works for me, who used to work for Stampington and Company. And during the year that I was off, I went looking for a job and I got a job at Starbucks and I hadn't started yet, but I was getting ready for their training program, right? Because I thought they have good benefits and I can go back to school yeah. and all those kinds of things. So one of my designers called up and said, I've been working for Stampington and um, you need to go. I didn't know Kelleen and I didn't know Stampington. And she said, you need to go down there and meet them. And I said, I'm going to go to work at Starbucks. And she said, Joe, 
you need to do that. And I said, what don't you understand about Starbucks? I mean, it's, I can depend on it, all those things. So after a while, I did all my homework on Stampington um, and I wrote, um, Jenny Dell was the editor in chief. And so I wrote her a letter, I introduced myself and said, you know, perhaps I could come down and meet you. And she said, she just wrote me back, not dear Joe, thank you for everything. No, thanks, we're not interested, sincerely, Jenny. She just wrote, we don't do books. And so I thought, well, <laughs> so I wrote her back and said, I don't wanna do books with you. And so she writes back and says, what do you wanna do? And I said, I don't know. But uh, somebody said that we should meet and I thought it would be a good opportunity. So she says, so the CHA show was gonna be like the next Friday. This is so like a Thursday and a week from Friday was the CHA show. And she said, come down and we'll meet with you on Thursday before the CHA show at 12 o'clock, we have 45 minutes. So I go over, I didn't have a dime to my name. So I went over to my dad and said, dad, can, will you lend me the money to fly to California to meet with these guys? And he's like, yes, whatever you want, of course. So I fly down there. I have my, my son's living down there. I have him pick me up at the airport and I have him drop me off on the corner so that they don't see that somebody, my son drops me off because you know, when you're down, you have no confidence in yourself, right? It's all like, everybody thinks you're a loser. And it's like being a junior in high school where you don't want your mom to drop you off at school. Right. So I have to drop me off in the corner, at the corner. I walk up, I'm scared to death. And I walk in the office and I ask for Jenny and Jenny comes out and this woman comes out with her. And um, she said, Kelleen's gonna go to lunch with us. Well, I didn't know who Kelleen was and I'd done my homework. And so I thought she was like her assistant, right? So I say, great. So they take us to lunch and I'm watching my watch and terrified that I'm gonna have to offer to pay for lunch, right? <laughs> and um, so we're talking, talking, talking and, and about 35 minutes into the conversation, I'm looking at my watch and I said, well, I know you guys only have 45 minutes, so we should go. And Kelleen says, uh, Kelleen asked me a question about, where women create and I said oh do you know where women create and she goes yes I do know where women create and I said yeah and so she said I want to publish it in a magazine and I <laughs> I am so transparent I said let me think about that for just a sec okay that would be great right and so she said okay I'll own it and I'll pay you a royalty and it was the only thing I owned in the world. I'd lost my house, I'd lost everything. And I said, no, I can't do that. Mm -hmm. And she said, why not? And I didn't wanna tell her the story. I mean, I didn't wanna sound like a loser. So I just said, I, I just, I, it, I'm not interested in that. And she said, okay, how about this? You put it together, you get it all ready. We'll publish it, we'll be partners 50-50 and we'll split it. And I said, okay. So I went home, so I had to produce a 160 page magazine, do all the photography and all the layout and all the graphics. And we had two months to, oh, let me tell you. So we go back to the office. We were in the restaurant for four hours, right? And we go back to the office and she makes six foot posters that announce the, uh, the announcement of Where Women Create magazine. And we took them to CHA the next day and hung them in their booth. So then I go home and I'm like, because when we're talking about building the community, I called 12 of my very best friends in the industry. And I said, Kari Ming and um, Mary Jane 
butters and um, I mean a whole group of them. And I said, you guys, I have a chance to do this magazine and it's all about your studios and I need you to write the stories and I need you to pay for your own photography. <laughs> Everyone. And I said, and you've got like three weeks to get it done. And they're like, no problem. We'll just get it done and do it. And they sent it in. And my, my graphics guy that had worked for me for about, no, he probably worked for me for 12 years. I said, Maddie, I can't afford to pay you. And he said, no worries. We'll just do it and get it done until you get paid. And so we, the team, all of us put that together and under two months and delivered and Kelly printed and we were number one on newsstands from the very beginning. So where women create mm -hmm. is really your creation. It's that's really, really, that's your art right there, isn't it? I know you say you're not an artist, <laughs> but like this, this magazine is really beautiful, you know? Oh, you and did. I know that it's, cre that it's also created by the, the women who are in it. But you, you, that is, to me, that's your art is putting together this every month, you know, like Janine uh, Van Gogh at Uppercase, she puts, you know, same thing. That's her art, right? I think, actually, I think Janine is not only an artist, but a genius because she does that by herself. I mean, <laughs> I have help, right? I don't know. She does I don't that know. Yeah, I know. Janine, and Janine, I think, is a genius. But <laughs> she is. She is. I, mean, I, I want to be Janine when I grow up, right? Yeah. <laughs> But, but I think this, like for, for people like you, I think that, cause I sort of see personally, I see my business as my art as well. Right. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like it, sure. uh, art, you know, you infuse something of yourself into each of these magazines. You're very gracious. Yeah. Thank you. No, it's true. Yeah. It's not grace. It's truth in that case. Honest to goodness. I, I love it. I, and I've, I've loved it for years. Um, with all of those relationships that you have, you know, how do you, how, how do you stay connected to people? Because you are, you are someone, you are a connector. You're always connecting people with other people. And I love your podcast too. So I encourage people to go listen to your podcast. You're very um, gracious. If, if, you know, what do you do as a, as a human being that makes you able to stay connected and, and really in truth, some real, you know, uh, our strong relationships take work and they take love and they, you know, to build community. So how, how are you able to do that so well, Joe? Well, I think part of it, um, I have my core group that I'm really close to that I talk to a lot. There's about six of us, I guess, um, that they don't even know each other. I kind of know them. They're all in different industries. They all do different things. So they keep me connected and stable, you know, so yeah. that I don't fly off the balcony. And, um, but I think that I'm extremely blessed because people contact me to feature friends. So they always feel like they can call me or write to me. And I always answer. I answer every email myself. I don't have anybody who does that for me yeah. so that I know what's going on and who's thinking what and all those kinds of things. And then I think that they feel like the magazine itself, the publication is kind of like talking to me, like, who did you meet lately? What do they do? What do you love about them? Those kinds of conversations that we have as artists, right? Yeah. And so they feel like they're constantly in contact with me and I'll have people, I have people that I feel very, very close to. And then I don't, we don't talk to each other for two years for some reason. 
Yeah. And then all of a sudden something brings us back together. Right. And it's, but we don't ever have to start from scratch. We always just start when we pick up where we left off, we pick up from where we left off. But I think part of that too, Deanne, was that um, we were always at trade shows. I went to trade shows and craft fairs and, you know, all of those kinds of events where they taught classes. I was at all of them so that I could, I'm single and my children are grown. And so I was always on the road and it was really easy to connect. I think that's why for all of us, COVID was so devastating mm. because all of a sudden it cut off all that companionship and the opportunities to be with people. Yeah. And so um, I went to my first one last week, actually QuiltCon, first one in what, two and a half or three years. And I sat in the booth and just sobbed. It was so good to be back there with all those people and they would come up and we didn't care if we had masks on, we were hugging and sharing stories. And, you know, it was really, really nice. It was really good. Now you're also drawn to partnerships. <laughs> you, you are not a lone wolf. Like you there, <laughs> I find that really interesting. Like you, like uh, to me, looking and I think anybody looking at you would see this real powerful human being you have influence you have ability you've run you know uh you've run very large companies you've made money you've lost money you you know I when I when I look when we look at that as just people watching and following you look to me very powerful and very strong but Every time you told me you did something, you are drawn to partnership. It's because I have absolutely zero confidence in myself. And um, it's, it's because I, I truly believe in my heart of hearts. This magazine has nothing to do with me. It's all about you. I feel, I really do feel like a bus driver. I really do feel like I stop at the, at the school, the bus stop to get all the kids to go to school and I get them there and then they do their thing and then I get them back on the bus and then I take them back where they were and then I get another bus load, right? And I'm a pretty good bus driver. I mean, I, I can pick the right group and I can get them all together and I can get them inspired, but it really is all about them. Without all of you, there would be no me. I would have nothing to do. I mean, what would I do? You know, and, and I don't like, um, I, I'm really drawn to the creative and the social part mm -hmm. of the job. I don't want a big office that takes care of the printing and the shipping and the, that it to me is something that's the worst nightmare ever. Yeah. And we did that. We did that yeah, with yeah. the cross stitch books. Mm -hmm. I had a partner, but she was an artist and we printed and shipped and I don't want to own a warehouse again. And I don't want to own trucks that have to deliver those books and stuff like that right that yeah. because i have to love my job and i love my job and i didn't love that part of my job so i'm like i'm not doing that again so you know you you so i mean i find it really hard to believe that you don't have confidence because you exactly <laughs> I have no confidence. In you're myself. so comfortable with yourself <laughs> you just told me so many and you're such a good storyteller like you're just you got me captivated here for an hour, which is for me to sit still for an hour, Joe. It's amazing. Like, uh, uh, okay, you're kind, so. of, kind of blowing me away with that. And uh, storytellers don't get paid very much, though. <laughs> they don't. They don't. 
but you do exude joy and you exude joy in what you do and and you exude um artistic creativity i really i really feel that about you and i feel that um i feel that uh you might be the bus driver i i can see why you're saying that but i also think um you are like the person on the bus who makes things real exciting and uh fun to be on that bus so you're so gracious you i think I, I don't have an ego. I, I mean, I really don't have an ego. And I think um, when when you're in the magazine world or the publishing world, which you probably know, um, editors, publishers and editors have huge egos and it's all about them. And they want you to, they edit your story. They take out your words. They want you to say what they want you to say. They want the story to look like they want it to look like. And we don't do that. You write your story in your own words and yeah. I correct your spelling because i do think that's important but we don't correct your punctuation and your grammar because <laughs> because i talk in long run on sentences with a million exclamation points right yeah and i don't want some editor chopping them all up and making them sound really perfect and like i speak perfect english because i don't yeah. and so when you read the stories i want it to feel like this like you and i are sitting here and we have every single person who's featured in our magazine approve their story before we go to press. And if they don't like it, we change it. Yeah. Because I don't ever want anybody to say that they hated their story in my magazine. Uh-huh. I mean, I have a story about that. This is why this whole thing started. One of the reasons is when we first started the kind of cross-stitch books, you know, you take all the publicity you can get. And, and uh, we laugh about this every day. But one of the editors at Women's Day called me up and said, Joe, would you can we're doing designers at Christmas, would you be one of our designers? And I said, sure. And she said, you have to do you design your own Christmas ornaments. And I said, Well, yeah, I actually do. And she said, Okay, so and we have to film in June, and we have to do this. And I'm like, Okay. So she says, send me your Christmas ornaments. So I send them and she calls me up. And she says, you know, it's really not what we had in mind. We really don't like your Christmas ornaments very well. And I said, well, that's okay. And she goes, do you care if we make your ornaments for you? And I said, no, no, you know, I, I don't care. So she makes them and then she, you have to write the story. And so I write the story and then you have to have a picture of your family at Christmas. So I send in my picture, I was divorced. And so there was just me and my two children. And she calls me up, she says, Joe, we need your whole family. I said, that is my whole family. She said, no, we need your husband. I said, I don't have a husband. She said, don't you have an ex-husband? And I said, yes. She said, could he be in this? (laughs) Well, I'll call him. Sure. Comes over. That's in the picture for this family picture, right? And so they put it, they, we, they put it in. So the magazine hits newsstands November 1st, right? So I run and we write this letter and we sign it. So I run to the newsstands. I go pick it up. I hadn't seen it before. And there's this article on me with me, with my ex-husband, with a Christmas tree that isn't mine, with a letter I didn't write, with a signature that wasn't my signature. Yeah. And I said, what the hell? I called her up and she goes, well, you know, one of the graphic designers didn't like the way you signed your name. <laughs> I, said, I said to her, if I ever have a magazine or do anything that represents other people, it gets to be them, all of them, whether I like it or not. Right? And you know what you just told me? You just told me that you're real and that that magazine is real, that Where Women Create is a real magazine. 
And that's what I got from this, this whole conversation with you is that you are a real human being, you know, vulnerable and willing to just willing to just willing to show your humility and, and, and your, oh, it's just been fun. Really? Well, you are so gracious to have me on. Thank you so much. I I love, how do people find you, Joe? Where should they go look for Joe Packham? Um, they can go on the website. They can, they can just send me an email at joe at wherewomencreate.com. Right. And sometimes it takes me a minute to get through all of those. If they go on the website, there's a place that says submissions that goes right to my inbox immediately. I see those first. Okay. So it's, it's, it's there. They will always get an answer, but it is just a quicker answer if they go through the website. Okay. So wherewomencreate.com. Correct. Yeah. You are doing a beautiful thing for so many people and you're giving so many people a lovely opportunity. And I think, you know, I, I want to ask you one more question before we go. And that's about, um, one of the things that you said was that, um, you, you are way more, you know, you're sure about what you want to do. And has that, has that changed with age? How is, and, and that you have no ego. That's what you said. You said, I have no ego really. And, and has that changed as, as you've grown and matured as a woman? Oh, my hell. When I turned 70, <laughs> just like what happened? I mean, my hair gets thinner, you know, your chin gets bigger. I mean, I look in the mirror and I think, oh my God. <laughs> so, you know, I never thought I was pretty, but I thought I was I always thought I was just the kind of person that never got noticed, not, you know, not homely, not pretty, just kind of this normal woman, girl, you know, and now I just feel like this old lady, especially when I go to go to markets and stuff. I mean, these kids are what they're 25 and 30 years old. I could be their grandmother. Right. I mean, you have to think about that. Right. And and it's very humbling. So um, I'm even more humble than I used to be. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it, 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 ha- it, it, as when you were young, were you, were you, did you have more of an ego when you were a young woman? No, I never have. No, my, I was always very insecure and I can't tell you why. I don't know why I had wonderful parents, yep. you know, and, um, a perfectly normal life. And I was a cheerleader in high school. I was all kinds of things. I've just never had any confidence in myself. I'm never the one to volunteer. I'm never the one, you know, to do those kinds of things. I just, I don't know why. Well, I'm going to tell you something right now. <laughs> you are friggin' amazing. You, you are. are so sweet. You are. <laughs> Can I'm I call serious. you when I feel bad? <laughs> oh, yeah, you are. You are amazing. And I just want to thank you for talking with me today and for coming on Create Beauty Every Day podcast brought to you by Deanne Fitzpatrick Studio. And if you want to hear more from Joe Packham, I think you should subscribe to Where Women Create. It's a beautiful magazine, inspiring workspaces of extraordinary women. So thank you, Joe, for today. That was beautiful. Thank you. From the bottom of my heart. Thanks for listening to today's show. Be sure to go over to hookingrugs.com and find out more about the inspiration sessions and learning with me about creativity, intuition, color, and design for rug hooking. Until next time, create beauty every day.